This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. Thank you very much, Charlie Pellet. Uh, i got to say, I'm eager to get to our next guest. I've been um, doing a b- bunch of reading, Jason, about her. She began her job on March 2nd as president of the Center for Talent Innovation. It's a 15-year-old nonprofit think tank. It's dedicated to diversity and inclusion in the workplace. She spent more than a decade on Wall Street, including at Bank of America, Mer- Bank of America Merrill Lynch, excuse me, where she led global equity asset management. She is also co-chair of the Human Rights Campaign's National Business Advisory Council, and it's a Form of diversity leaders from Fortune 500 companies. She's also founding executive member of Open Finance. It's a consortium of LGBTQ leaders advancing inclusion across Wall Street. I feel like, Linnea Irvin, you represent so much of the conversations that we've been having about the last 14, 15 weeks, and certainly in the last month. She joins us on the phone from New York City. Welcome, welcome to Bloomberg. Thank you for having me. I have to say, talk about timing. You're, I think, roughly, what, four months in on your job. We've been dealing with the virus, um, of course, the aftermath of George Floyd, um, a lot of talk about diversity and racism around the country. Talk to us about your last four months. Well, you know, it's been an extraordinary leadership transition, I will say. Um, uh, you know, definitely, you know, um, an unexpected um, moment, uh, I think, we honestly, we are, we find ourselves in a tremendous um, moment of pain and complexity in this country. Um, and obviously, that wasn't something I expected uh, in March when I made the transition, but uh, obviously something that um, I leaned into. You know, I think we are, um, our firm obviously advances research and advisory, and this is an opportunity for us to you know, connect with our task force in a more meaningful way. Um, it's required uh, a more human-centered leadership, and that's something that I've been championing, championing with large corporates. Uh, I've been advising, but no, it's been it's been extremely tough. It's been extremely tough to witness uh, the disproportionate impact and uh, what may be really uh, what may be lasting, um, uh, you know, kind of change in our society, um, both positive um, but potentially um, uh, heartbreaking as well. Mm. You know, Linnea, I I had a CEO that I was talking to yesterday uh, who is black talk about the his fear that this is but a moment, you know, that this is just another moment mm-hmm. that we sort of mm-hmm. recognize. We live in it for a little while. We all sort of look around and say, ah, oh, this is terrible. And mm, I wish there was something we could do, but it's fleeting. What do we do to prevent that from happening? Well, you know what? I hope that uh, this time is different uh, because the stakes are higher. You know, the world is watching at this point. We've we've seen quite a few uh, CEOs and, uh, you know, leaders come out with corporate statements, obviously denouncing racism and injustice. And I think that's fantastic. Uh, But I think uh, the expectation uh, is much greater now. Companies need to commit to doing the work internally so they actually have the right to make these statements. Uh, during times of global and national significance. Um, so I think that that is, is where this one moment is dif- different and where I'm optimistic uh, that they might actually kind of deliver on, uh, you know, a promise. Man, I just want to kind of sit with that for a moment. What you just said, leaders are coming out making statements, but they have to do the work internally to justify their right to make those statements externally. That's huge. And I think that is what could make 
this time different, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it definitely. I think this is what, um, you know, the, we have to think. We have, we are dealing with, you know, multiple crises simultaneously, right? Global mm-hmm. health pandemic, which led to tremendous uncertainty and a severe, um, and severe economic dislocation. And we now have millions of people, right, who've experienced rapid human loss death, unemployment, um, you know, obviously we witnessed the taking of black lives at the hands of the, t- the police. And so you're, you're dealing with a community, you know, a, a nation state filled with collective grief, right? Um, it, you know, I, a few weeks ago, um, in a, a Newsweek um, opinion piece that I, I, I penned, you know, I, I write about the right to anger and rage seeping through. And you know, I, I, I write, over time, fear and grief become fault lines hastening an, erupt, an eruption and collective outcry for justice. And what that basically meant was, you know, what we're witnessing now, right, unrest, it shouldn't be surprising to anyone, right? People can only push down such hurt. People can only, uh, you know, uh, withstand such violence and countless downgrades to one's dignity before an eruption occurs, right? You had people home. You had people... Um, you know, suffering uh, lack of access to quality health care, uh, and then you, you know, it's compounded by witnessing yet another death. And so it's, I think this is an instance where the call to action is clear because it's coming from, um, you know, the country as a whole, right? We have nothing else to dis- distract us, right? We're not hopping on a subway and heading into the office. We can't go to a movie or grab um, a grab dinner with friends. We have nothing but opportunity to focus on what the crises have exposed, once again, which is structural inequality in our society. All right, we're going to continue this conversation because we've got a lot more questions uh, for you, Lanaya, and uh, just love some of the things that you're saying and the urgency with which you're saying it because it feels like that's going to be key uh, for these conversations continuing and for conversations, as you said, Carol, I think a little bit earlier in the show, for the conversations to lead to action, to measurable action where you can have this. And I've had a number of conversations this week uh, about this as well. But what Linnea said about this whole idea that if you're going to make public statements, you better be doing the work basically at home that will lead to those structural changes. And that's what gives you the right to make the statements externally, right? We've heard a lot of talk. It's all about actions now. Make a difference. Change the system. Change the structure that has been the foundation and basis of the inequalities. We're going to continue that conversation in just a moment. Well, let's get back to our conversation with Linnea Irvin. She is the president for the Center for Talent Innovation. Joining us on the phone from New York City. We're in the midst of a great conversation around what happens next, what we should be doing, and maybe more importantly, what leaders should be doing in their companies. And having conversations about race in the workplace is so important. Linnea, you mentioned earlier in the conversation this notion of human-centric leadership, which I think is critical here. What does that look like in a remote world? What does it look like in a world right now where people are, are really trying to figure out how to talk to each other. Right. Well, you know, I think, well, conversations are, are critical, right? Um, opening up safe space for real dialogue, um, you know, it's a great way to ensure that your employees feel heard, you know, um, ensure that they're seen. Um, but it's also a really great opportunity for 
uh, leaders and would-be allies to listen, right? Be active in, in uh, their leadership um, and, and demonstrate some awareness of this moment in time, the context in which we live, disproportionate impact, right? Um, I'm sure many leaders are, of course, they're considering uh, COVID-19 and unemployment rates. And, uh, and obviously, they, they cannot unsee uh, racism and pol- police brutality. Um, but at the same time, are they communicating, are they signaling to their employee base that this is top of mind for them? Um, you know, I think, I, you know, I hosted a, a similar conversation, uh, you know, within my organization a couple weeks ago. And you know, while on one hand there was tremendous vulnerability from a leadership standpoint to share my experiences in the end after listening to, uh, you know, the team share, but on the other hand it was extremely powerful. Right? It's important for leaders to be visible, to be vocal, and in this case, even if the conversation was difficult, it offered up space for storytelling. It offered offered up meaningful bridging capital and brought the team closer together. And so I think conversation is a good place to start, uh, you know, for for leaders looking to connect with their employees at this time. Lene, the other thing, you know, and it's something Jason and I have talked a lot about, in particular, over the past month, um, we had a conversation, conversation with John Hope Bryan of Operation Hope. And, and what's interesting is he was talking with younger, a younger population, you know, about why people are protesting and why does it get kind of sometimes, you know, out of control a little bit. And and they said to him, you know, you have a seat at the table. You get to go to the White House. You get to talk to executives. We don't have a seat at the table. You know, we're not in the room when it all happens. And so it's and in, as he said to us, this is a poverty issue. This is this is, you know, a much deeper entrenched problem in our situ, you know, in, in our system. What do you think we as all leaders and, and who have voices, what can we do to change that? How do we change that? Well, right. Well, I mean, first, admit that there is entrenched bias, right? That is That, that creates barriers to um, success or, you know, access to meaningful work. Just, you know, that admission alone is a, a, a great step. And then I think, you know, it's important for leaders to, you know, be intentional about what they can control, you know, whether that's, you know, hiring, development, promotion of, of key talent, um, you know, representation is, and, and visibility is, is really important. Our research finds um, that, uh, you know, it's probably one of the most important things when you do have um, talent, uh, some talent frustrated with their um, advancement. One in five black professionals, for example, um, feel that someone of their race could never achieve a top position at their company, meaning they can't envision a reflection of their own image in the C-suite or a CEO, right, mm. compared to uh, 3% of white professionals, right? And then professionals of color, you know, as a whole are less likely to have access to senior executive advocates. One-fifth of black employees, and I would note 15% of Asian professionals say that not a single leader knows them by name. Imagine being rendered invisible in connection to power and the long-term impact that could have on one's career, right? So I think one one thing that will help, um, uh, you know, organizations kind of bridge with with you know emerging talent, those that are coming up in these organizations, and they are um, looking to eventually have a seat at the table, acknowledge that there is a disconnect, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's a there's a in our being black in corporate America uh, research, one really big finding was a perception gap. 
um, that was unveiled in the data. Uh, so uh, black professionals, for example, they witnessed, you know, they experienced barriers to advancement, but they seem, this seems largely invisible to their white colleagues. So where 65% of black professionals say, yes, black talent have to work much harder to advance, only 16% of their colleagues agree with that statement. So there's a material, wow. per- God. There's, there's a material, yes, yeah. there's a material perception gap that makes overcoming this hurdle of retention, right. development, advancement that much more difficult. It's just a reminder that there's still, I feel like, so much we all have to learn in this process. Um, Linnea, thank you so much, and I hope we can check back with you again in the future. Really, really appreciate um, your time on this Wednesday. Linnea Irvin, she's president of the Center for Talent Innovation, joining us on the phone from New York City. But, you know, she is someone who understands diversity, inclusion from so many different perspectives. Jason has worked on Wall Street, which, as you know, can be a yeah, tough place that's where when we it comes to those to both go, things. And, and I that, know. That was really what I wanted to uh, – well, we're going to have to have her back because I do feel like, you know, in our little world – here. If Wall Street can figure this out, I, I really feel like literally anyone can. And yeah. so what does she think uh, the conversations that need to happen? You know, we're starting to see some movement. You know, Larry Fink coming out and talking about uh, the high, setting specific goals to hire black workers uh, at his shop. So, Blackstone, too, coming out in terms of how they're yeah. going to do recruiting. It's not just taking yeah. from other already Wall Street firms, but actually being much more aggressive on campus to bring in new bodies. So really important. Um, Actions, actions, actions. That's what it's about.